Good morning, guys. Com Center Sports coming back at you here once again. This is Friday, March the 6th. 2020. This is episode number 63 and today we're going to be talking about ADP across Yahoo and NFBC on certain players that we're interested in and where they're going in many drafts, whether or not we're going to be targeting them. With me as always, my co-host is Ben Nisman. Benny, how you doing today, buddy? Doing all right, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Just a deep as hell free agency pool. Just so much talent across the board. Seems like outfielders are just such an abundance here. Uh, starting pitching a little bit thinner, and uh, a lot to talk about here from player to player, Joe. Yeah. I mean, the first guy that we want to talk about and the guy that, that we've talked about extensively off-air, let's just jump right into Giancarlo Stanton. You know, with, with the calf injury that he's facing, right now in, in Yahoo, he is going off the board somewhere about the 51 pick mark, which is... In 12-team leagues in the fifth round, and for 16 teams like we play in, that's the middle of the third round, man. Is there any chance that you are in on Giancarlo Stanton where he's going I, right I, now? No. just I, That's impossible for me mm. to put him on my team in the third round and have him stashed for God knows how long, and what are you going to be doing if it's the same situation that you dealt with last year with right. Stanton? Right. I mean, was it really worth trading for Stanton last year when you did, Joe, because, look, you had him for the reason, knowing that you were going to the playoffs mm -hmm. and he's your playoff acquisition, mm -hmm. and I get it, but in hindsight, that's not really what you signed up for. No, no, I signed up for Giancarlo Stanton to be my right fielder and to, to lock down what I thought was going to be a championship team. I got him right as he came back off the DL, got eight games out of him, and then he was done for the year. And it was arguably one of the worst trades I've ever made. When you look at where he's going currently, both in NFBC and Yahoo, he's around the same group of guys. So I'm going to ask you, do you take him above any of the following names that I'm going to list off here? Chris Bryant, Kettle Marte, Eloy Jimenez, Victor Robles, Tommy Pham. Any of those five guys you want Giancarlo standing in front of. I put him in front of Victor Robles. Okay, why is that? I think that's I think that's the only one though. Obviously not Chris Bryant, mm -hmm. and I'd probably say not Tommy Pham based on the lineup that's protecting him. Mm -hmm. So no, I mean I think that because you don't know what you're going to be getting from Stanton when he even comes back, mm -hmm. whenever that is, it's. It's a big question mark, and I don't think any of these guys that we're talking about, Robles, to me, came, kind of came out of nowhere last year. So right. that's why I consider him somewhat of a question mark. Mm -hmm. But I can't necessarily say that stashing Stanton for as long as I might have to is worth it because I don't know where my team is going to be by then. Okay. Let me ask this question because the next guy on the list – well, the next two guys on the list in Yahoo – are Jorge Soler and Joey Gallo. What about those two? Well, Gallo to me is, a, I, know, I don't know what I'm getting from that guy either. Is he going to be that guy that kind of turned it around as far as figuring out a little bit more maybe with the strikeouts? And, but not necessarily. And I'm, I'm still not crazy about the Texas Rangers team. Mm -hmm. I think it would be interesting if I could just throw it in there if they're the team that signs Yasiel Puig. That's you know, another name that we'll get to here. That. Yeah. What's that? I said that's another name we'll get to here is Yasiel Puig. I mean, if they if, if Texas lands him, it'll be an interesting buy-low candidate because he's going much, much later right now. But right. I, I see what you're talking about with, with Gallo. You know, he, he, he had a really interesting season last year and was looking like he really turned things around as far as not being a – three true outcome guy you know he was hitting in the 250s before he went down for the year you know 241 at bats that's what about half a full season yeah you know, yeah a little less a mm -hmm. little less the on-base percentage just took an unbelievable jump as well though from 312 in 2018 to 389 before the injury last year now, that's excellent yeah I mean, that's that's terrific that's what you want to see and you hope that, they, I mean, I think losing Mazzara might hurt them a little bit. Just it, because I thought he was a nice budding player to mm -hmm. have. 
going mm-hmm. forward. He's only 24, 25 years old. And as far as Jorge Soler, when I pick him over Stanton, I think I'd have to because he led the American League in home runs. It's just, I don't know if he's going to do that. I don't think he's necessarily, I mean, I would assume he cracks the 30 mark. And I don't know if Stan's cracking the 30 mark right now. Do you? I I really don't know. I mean, if you're going to tell me that Stanton's going to play 120 games this year, then yeah, I think I can say that he's going to break 30 home runs. But if he's not playing that many, and you're going to mi- and he's going to miss extended periods of time again, then I, I don't know. I, I I look at Solaire last year and I say that could be what he is. You know, the the that could be a real thing that's that's repeatable. He was definitely hyped up. Certainly, certainly. You know, the strikeout total is ugly. He led the American League with 178 strikeouts last year. But he did hit 265 with a 350 on base percentage. And the 48 homers right. and 170. I mean, this was a, a, a highly touted prospect that mm-hmm. finally came into his own kind of under the radar. It right. started just slowly but surely. He was just collecting a home run here and there and just having a dangerous season all of a sudden. Right, right. He is only right field eligible if you play in a, in a league like ours, which is left, center, and right. Um, so only one position el- eligible. You know, a guy like uh, a guy like Stanton may end up getting left field eligibility depending on how much he plays this year and how many people are injured. Um, going around yeah, that same, you're not you're not holding on for that reason though. Like, no, I no. mean that's even going to take longer because you don't. He's going to DH a couple of games, mm-hmm. then maybe he'll get another. Sometimes in right field. I mean, yeah, eventually he will. But again, at that point, you don't know what your team is. Right. You might be just trying to clamoring just to collect W's, however you can, just get a, an eleven nine win, a ten nine exactly. win. Exactly. And I know these are big numbers for some people listening that are like, wait a minute, there's only ten stats in our league. But right. because we have so many more stats, it's just, that's the scores generally, or something like. 28 uh, 28, 28. 28.8 off the board on Yahoo. Uh, His average on NFBC is 30, so you're probably looking right in the middle there. Um, Probably about 29th, which in 12-team leagues is the third round. In 16-team leagues, man, that's the back end of the first round. Uh, Maybe the... I'm sorry, the back end of the second round. Uh, Yeah. So... You know, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting spot for him. Though I feel like he might be the guy that will get the balloon despite the uh, despite the injury that he's dealing with. I, I don't know. I mean, that's another guy that I'm pretty wary of drafting that high around him, especially with Bryce Harper, Jordan Alvarez, JD Martinez, and Starling Marte. I would much rather go for a guy like JD Martinez, who's going to be a DH, and you know, still have. I think he still has left and right eligibility. Um, right. In, in, it's, it's a stash yeah. circumstance with the judge and the stand-in. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, from watching how the Yankees work, especially, just look at last year. Mm-hmm. Was anyone really rushed back? No. No. They were playing really well, and they were, they were you know, they were succeeding despite the injuries. If you want to say that maybe right. Stanton was rushed back and that caused the knee injury, I could listen to that argument. But at the end of the day, he oh, was dealing with a bicep injury. It's not like he was dealing with like a hip and then the knee gave out as a as a compensatory injury or something. You know what I mean? Like here, my point, yeah. My point is, if the Yankees are winning, those guys aren't coming back. They're not gonna rush they're them just back, gonna right? No. Yeah. No. I could see I could see um, them taking all of April with with Judge, and if that's the case, then we're talking about only four months of him mm-hmm. in your fantasy league because we you have a shortened season, right? Because you have one month less. So, mm-hmm. is that really worth the back end of the second round or the third round? Absolutely not. No, no. And you know, given that 
given that Judge last year was he missed what basically the entire first half. I mean, he he played in 102 games last year, um, 378 at bats, still hit 27 homers and batted 272 with a 380 on base percentage. Judge can be a guy to return top three round value even in a shortened season, right? Because this, these are numbers that you you like if you're yeah. getting a full season of a guy, you know, much further down in the draft order, right? These, these are right, numbers right. comparable to a Nick Castellanos last year just in a shorter amount of time. So if you're only going to miss a month of him and you're saying he's going to get, you know, 450 at-bats or 420 at-bats, um, you you might crack 30, 35 homers that way. I just Maybe. don't... Yeah. And you, could, and you could get upwards of 80 walks that way as well. Sure, sure. But in 112 games don't. in 2018, he had 76 walks. So, I mean, that's a pretty decent barometer. Like, if you get 100... Call it 115 games. Right. You know, you'll, you'll get 80 walks that, out of him. Yeah. I don't know, though. You don't... When he comes back, you're not going to automatically assume the production. Right. Just because he is the player that he is. You can hope for it. Mm-hmm. But again, I just think when you're... At this point, because these guys are question marks going into opening day, you got to be wary of it because of how the Yankees work. And that's that if the team is winning, they're not rushing these guys back. There's no reason to if they have a nice lead on the division. If Tampa Bay is fighting with them, if Toronto is a surprise and they get in front of them after April, then it's a little bit of a different story. Then they might push the panic button, but only at that point. Yeah. Let's move on to another guy that we brought up just a little bit earlier, and we're talking about Yasiel Puig, who still does not have a contract. And let's first of all talk about why we think Yasiel Puig doesn't have a contract, Ben. What, what are you thinking there? Why doesn't this guy have a job yet? Uh, the only thing I can think of is that maybe the asking price is too high mm. for the type of player organizations think he is. They wonder what kind of demeanor he's bringing into the clubhouse, potentially. He's, you know, he's he's a bit, I don't want to say like a party animal, but he's had his off-the-field troubles, I'll say that. Mm. So I do think that teams could be worried about that as well. Looking on MLB trade rumors right now, they, they Connor Byrne put up an article back on March 2nd with the latest on Yasiel Puig. And it says in in just perusing this article was that the Angels were, were considering Puig as recently as last week, but not too seriously. The belief is that Puig turned down a one-year, $10 million contract from a National League club, but it's unclear when the team presented him with that offer and who that National League team was. If you look at the Angels specifically, they tried to upgrade their outfield in Jock Peterson during that during that Mookie Betts fiasco that went down, but they ended up pulling out of that deal. And the only concern I would have is if you're going to go ahead and sign Yasiel Puig, then A, Brian Goodwin becomes your fourth outfielder, and B, that stunts Joe Adele's growth and becoming an everyday player there, and that would concern me because Joe Adele's upside is higher than Yasiel Puig currently. So, I don't know if I necessarily agree that it stunts the growth of Joe Adele. Well, uh, I don't think putting putting Brian Goodwin as your fourth outfielder mm-hmm. and having Adele start in Triple A is not necessarily bad for his development. I can understand that, and and I don't hate that idea either. I think that's what they're going to do anyway because of service time. Um, but the concern I have there is okay. So now your outfield is Puig, Trout, and Upton, and Unless one of them gets gets injured or is absolutely shit in the bed uh, uh, offensively, I don't see a way that, that Adele is making his way to the majors this season. Now, if you sign right. Puig to a one-year deal, well then yeah, maybe Adele is just going to get his final year of seasoning at AAA and will be your starting right fielder in 2021. Right, which is not a, an issue either if the team is winning. And if they're not, there needs to be a change, he'll come in. And I'm not very certain that Trout won't have to miss time or Upton won't have to miss time. These guys haven't had full seasons in a while. So I do believe there will be an opportunity for him. 
But just adding another piece like Puig, I don't think could hurt just because of the energy that he could bring. And if the team is winning, I think he's a good guy to have in the clubhouse. Moving to the fantasy aspect of all of this, Yasiel Puig currently uh, on NFBC is going 138.1, so 138th overall. In Yahoo, he's going 153rd, almost 154th overall. Now, if you take the higher number there, uh, in 16-team leagues, that's the middle of the 10th round. Uh, for the lower number there, the 130, what I say, 139, uh, 138, that's the middle of the the ninth round. So a little bit of a of a of a difference there um, in the two different aspects and two different leagues and the two different platforms. But my question to you, Ben, is: Are you comfortable taking a guy like Yasiel Puig, who does not have a job currently, in the ninth or tenth round? Absolutely not. Okay. And I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with him in the teens round when he did have a contract. Okay. And I don't know, I, I just don't know where I'm going to be as far as what I'm going to need with outfielders. And what would you say Yasiel Puig is amongst outfielders? I'd probably say he's a number three. Sure, sure. In a, in a 16-team league, yeah, he's, he's a number three. In a 12-teamer, he might even be a number four, you know what I mean? Like, he right. might be your bench right. guy that you sub in. Going around the same time as him, you've got names like Max Kepler, uh, my my current man crush, Franmil Reyes, who is absolutely tearing up the spring. Take a look at his numbers. Um, Kyle Schwarber, Brian. Doesn't matter. Spring numbers do not matter. Yes, they do. Yes, they Go do. Ahead. No, uh, they don't. Why do they matter? Why, how do they matter? Do you do you really want to see a guy struggle in the spring and go into go into April with a one twelve batting average in the spring? I don't care. It doesn't matter. I think it, it don't matter whether they're strong. They're not trying to do that. They're, they're trying to get their swing right. And I'm sure if you looked at the statistics of players' spring stats and then put them next to their regular season stats, there would be no way to compare them. Okay. I'm going to do some research, and episode 64 is going to be this argument. I'm down for this. Yeah. We'll take a look at some of the some of the best hitters from, 20, from, from 2019, compare it with 2019 spring numbers, and we'll see how they did. That a fair thing to I do. I mean, you could do that, and, and you could do that with several players on year to year. Sure, it's not like a, a lot of analysts out there are saying, "Well, look at the spring that he had; he's going to have a great year." Right, this doesn't happen because There's... they're hitting off a, a pitcher that's trying to do something very specific, also to get himself ready. Mm -hmm. You cannot say that the hitter that's hitting is bringing a hundred percent of what he is in that at that, and the pitcher is not doing anything close than what he would be doing in a regular season start. It's not even comparable. There's certainly there's certainly something to be said that if somebody is succeeding off of a single-A or double-A guy on the roster just to fill a spot in spring and to work on his mechanics before he gets sent down to the minors, I can understand that if you're beating up on somebody. But yesterday, Garrett Cole gave up four home runs in two innings. That, to me screams of a guy who needs to work on something before April. If that continues and that trend goes in that direction, I would be very wary of drafting Garrett Cole and having him on my roster that early in the season if he needs to work out some kinks. I'll tell you, if he continues to give up home runs in every single start, I would still pick him in the first round. Okay. How about that? I'm not saying he drops out of the first round, but I'm saying I would be concerned and I would probably look at a situation where if I'm picking at the back end of the first round and Garrett Cole or Jake DeGrom is there, I may lean Jake DeGrom because okay. DeGrom's pitched well in the spring. And if Garrett Cole has some, some something to work out, maybe the pressure of New York, maybe the pressure of, of, of all these injuries on his team, maybe the fact that he's finally in pinstripes, whatever it is in here between the ears, that might be an issue. If it's something mechanical, maybe it's an issue that could lead toward an injury. I, I just look at the spring. I don't take the spring as as the Bible, as a law, right? But it but it certainly shows a trend of how these guys are doing and what they worked on in the, in the offseason. For a guy like Franmil Reyes, who I'm very high on, he lost 20 pounds in the offseason. I know, best, best shape of their life thing that we've heard a thousand times from guys who end up on sure. the IL for an extended period. But... He lost 20 pounds. 
He hit 34 home runs last year. He is the number one guy in exit velocity and hard hit percentage. And he's tearing the cover off the ball in spring. All of these things are pointing toward a breakout season for me. It could, but it could also go in the other direction. Everyone was really high on Greg Bird. What happened to him, right, when after he had his awesome Right, right. Greg Bird with the injury history, and oh, he's in the best shape of his life, and he's going to totally play first base, and didn't, right? Right. All right. Well, you'd be in the best shape of your life, but that doesn't mean you're in the best baseball shape of your life. Agreed. I always say that's different things. And again, um, if if he did lose 20 pounds, I, I guess that could help him in certain ways, but maybe he loses power also, which isn't necessarily a huge problem. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that the, the player himself might change. Right. And again, you got to see what he's doing when he has four at bat every single day. Mm-hmm. It just it changes after a streak versus a guy gets a couple of bats and then he's out of the game. We shall see. I, I Like I said, I'm high on this guy. I think he's going to be set for a breakout year, and I'm going to do everything I can to have him on as many fantasy teams as I can. But going back to Puig, Puig uh, is going around, like I said, guys like Max Kepler, Fran Mil Reyes, Kyle Schwarber, Brian Reynolds, Danny Santana, uh, David Dahl. Any of those guys you want but behind Yasiel Puig? No. I would... I would pick any one of those guys before Puig. Okay. Moving down, then, we see Malik Smith, Willie Calhoun, Kyle Tucker, uh, Aristides Aquino. Any of those guys? Yeah, I guess that he would go in front of a couple of those guys. Okay. So you're looking at, at Puig more in the 170 to 180 range overall picks, which will put him in yeah. about the, the middle of the 10th round in a 16-teamer. Okay. All right. Let's move to another really deep position, and that's third base. Now, who is a guy, Benny, that you really like at third base this year? Is it Manny Machado? Well, obviously, okay. that would be my number one guy. All right, well, Manny but... Machado is going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Ninth off the board at third base. 58th overall in 12-team leagues. That's the middle of the fifth round. For 16-team leagues like ours, that's the middle of the fourth round. Um, going around guys like DJ LeMayhew, Yoan Moncada, uh, Vlad Guerrero, and Max Muncie. I assume you okay. put him ahead of all four of those guys. Absolutely. Okay. 100%, yes. Okay. Um, for me, I would put him probably right in the middle there. I'd probably put Moncada ahead of him. I would put LeMayhew in front of him, but I would put Guerrero and Muncie behind him. So, okay. you know, that... I'm not exactly hype on Vlad Guerrero's helium again this year after seeing what he did last year. Uh, Yoan Moncada, though, had a breakout year last year, just got a huge extension, and I think he's going to be a fantastic third baseman for the White Sox this year as well. Um, Going a bit deeper into this position, a guy that I know you absolutely love, and that's Jeff McNeil. Uh, Jeff McNeil is going 108 overall. It's the back end of the ninth round in 12-team leagues. Uh, in 16-team leagues, that's going to be the back end of the seventh round. Uh, names right. around him. Mike Moustakis, Eduardo Escobar, Tommy Edmond, Matt Chapman. Any of those guys you want uh, ahead of Jeff McNeil? Probably Matt Chapman. Okay. If, if you can, it can be argued. Mm-hmm. The only thing is that... McNeil has multiple positions, right. second, third, left, and right. Mm-hmm. I mean, just right there, it makes him more valuable than a guy like Muncie that has only three positions. Plus, McNeil is much better with strikeouts than Muncie. Mm-hmm. McNeil has got some pop also. There's things that McNeil brings to the table that Muncie can't. So it surprises me that Muncie is higher up in the rankings as a third baseman in general, even though I get that Muncie does have value by having three positions that's one that surprises me right there yeah uh muncie actually is going 73rd overall right now so that's another 30 picks ahead of jeff mcneil um he is first second and third eligible i think the home run total is really what's driving his uh his, yeah, his price so up too. but the yeah. the multi-position eligibility doesn't hurt him either um, I agree with you that Matt Chapman should be in front of him. Yahoo also agrees with you. They've got Chapman right now at, at 98th overall. That's the front end of the ninth round. 
um, about 10 picks ahead of McNeil. But Moustakis is in front of him, and Eduardo Escobar and Tommy Edmond are the next two third basemen off the board. But the jump from Escobar to Edmond is like 30 picks. So it basically yeah, there's a cliff. So. There's a cliff after Eduardo Escobar that third base falls off that we're seeing. Um, if we move to second base, like you said, McNeil is also eligible there. Um, same same guys going in front of him, Mustakis and Muncie. Uh, behind him, Escobar and Edmund, like I talked about, with that cliff. So you're looking at the same type of situation at second base. Um, but if we want to look at a different second baseman, who's a guy that you're interested in this year? Well, well, I mean, there's it's a really deep position, like you said. Mm-hmm. It's tempting to go in many directions. I mean, J.D. Davis, as long as he's not going to be playing third base, so you're getting a guy that's going to be hidden in the outfield and you can plug him at third base. Right. It's going to help his bat. And if there's something like it is in our league, we have errors. Mm-hmm. So it helps with the defensive aspect as well. As long as J.D. Davis can handle left field. And I think he can over time of uh, getting a chance to play it more and more. And uh, in general, you're not just, you're just not going to see as much action in left field as you will in third base. Um, a guy like Danny Santana is definitely attractive. I mean, mm-hmm. an absurd amount of position eligibility for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously tempting. A guy like Miguel Sano. Okay. I mean, he's going to be playing first base. Mm-hmm. And you can plug him at third base, another chance to not get as many errors as long as you feel like he's competent at that position at first base. So that's a guy that's definitely attractive because that lineup got better with Donaldson. It's obviously the uh, division champions, and they still have a lot of talent. So I think Sano fits really well in that batting order in Minnesota. And as long as he plays, he's going to be dangerous. Those, those two guys that you just mentioned, Sano and J.D. Davis, they have a very big discrepancy between NFBC and Yahoo. Um, Miguel Sano on NFBC is going 119th overall. Uh, in Yahoo, he's going 146th overall. That's a good 25-pick difference, which is an entire round in a 16-team league, two whole rounds in 12-team leagues. Um, I think Sano is going to be a really nice bargain piece for somebody. Guy has the upside of 40 homers. The only issue is can he stay healthy? And with him playing first base, I like the idea of him being healthy all season and being able to, uh, to, to meet those lofty expectations. Plus, the lineup is really nice. You know, Nelson Cruz, Josh Donaldson, him, Eddie Rosario, uh, Max Kepler, and, and Mitch Garver. That lineup is stacked. Hey, Polanco. Yep. Polanco and Arise setting the table at the top. You know, you've got you've got a lot to like in Minnesota. And Miguel Sano might be the the value pick there. Uh, JD Davis that you talked about in NFBC is going 173rd overall. Uh, in Yahoo, he's going 216th. That's what, 40 picks between those two? Yeah. That's a yeah. big discrepancy. And I wonder what the issue is. Maybe it's the shoulder injury. Maybe there's a case of, uh, you know, third base and outfield being as deep as they are where Yahoo doesn't necessarily need him as much, whereas NFBC might play five outfielders. That's where his inflation comes from. Um, But going around J.D. Davis, because you dedicated so much time to him, going around him at third base is names like Scott Kingery, Ryan McMahon, Gio Urshela, uh, Evan Longoria, and Howie Kendrick. How many of those guys do you want him in front of, if not all of them? Yeah, all of them. Okay. Not interested in any of those names that you just mentioned. I mean, Urshela is an attractive name just because he had a nice year. And it seems like now he's going to get regular playing time. Mm -hmm. So you can jump for that, but, like, you're not going to reach for it. You can definitely be patient with a guy like that. I'm surprised, and Yahoo, I think Hunter Dozier is a guy that's kind of around these guys, yep. and that's a guy that's intriguing for me. Yeah, that's the next name up on the list from Scott Kingery is Hunter Dozier, and then ya- and then uh, Yuli Gurriel at third base. Those are the next two names up. Be interesting to see where those guys end up relative to J.D. Davis. Um, the only concern I have with Davis is if Cespedes is healthy, I don't see a reason he's not playing left field, and that will cut into J.D. Davis's time. I'm the, every day that goes by that Cespedes is getting healthier and we're seeing him hit well is another day that I'm concerned that J.D. Davis is going to lose playing time. 
I just hope not. I hope there's a way to find a way to get J.D. Davis in the lineup almost every day. Mm. And just, I think that's critical, especially in City Field. We talked about it yesterday. They batted, what, like 380 at home, something like that. So I don't know yeah. the last player that did that, but he showed over a full season that he can produce. He can deal with the slump and come out of it. And you just don't know with Cespedes at this point. I get it. I understand why you have to play Cespedes, mm-hmm. but I think you should figure out a way to get them both in the lineup. And I, it might mean having Conforto in center field, and it's not really ideal for me, but I would do it if I have to. Yeah, I don't like that option either, but I love what the offense can bring if you put Conforto there and put J.D. in left and Cespedes in right or vice versa. Um, or vice versa, yeah. yeah. Let's move on to some pitchers here, Benji, and I, I'm, I'm going to go with a guy that I'm, I'm pretty high on this year as well, and I know that you have not been as high on him in many years. It's Noah Syndergaard, and Noah okay. Syndergaard's ADP right now is going to be 68, almost 69th in Yahoo, 71 in NFBC, so going right at the same, same spot uh, relative to each other. Uh, what do you think of Noah Syndergaard this year, and would you be taking him at about the 70th pick, which in... 16-team leagues is the front end of the fifth round. I can see it. It's just not my guy. It's just not one that I'm targeting okay. in general. I love his command of the strike zone, actually. And I think when he pitches, it is must-see TV in a way. He mm-hmm. is an interesting figure in our sport. But a lot of things from last year kind of concerned me. It seemed like there wasn't a way for him to get at that last out able to get that out pitch mm-hmm. um, just letting the inning extend to another batter and things like that were really worrying me through the season so not a guy that I'm targeting obviously you know for our sake I hope he has a Cy Young caliber season but I do too. it just in my speculation my assumption he's going to have like a number three starter type year which right. is concerning me and you sign up for it but not in Okay, so around uh, Syndergaard here is guys like Charlie Morton, Lucas Giolito, Tyler Glasnow, and Jose Barrios. Those four names, where do you stick Syndergaard? Behind Barrios. Behind Barrios? Yeah, because of the offense in Minnesota. Okay, interesting. Um, Glasnow or, or Syndergaard? Wow, that's a uh, pass. Let's go to the next one. Okay, Giolito or Syndergaard? I I gotta say Giolito. Okay, Morton or Syndergaard? Uh, geez. I guess I'll put Syndergaard in front of the two raised pitchers. Okay. So, in theory, it's Giolito, Barrios, Syndergaard, Morton, and Glasnow in that order for you? Probably. Okay. Maybe I flip Glasnow and Morton. Okay. All right. Let's go a bit deeper into starting pitchers and find a guy that you're interested in here, Benji. Um, how are you feeling on Hunjin Ryu this year? I'm a fan. Okay. I think this guy really reached another level last year, and I get that the injuries could scare someone. And I wouldn't pick him probably at the spot that he's going in mock drafts because I'd assume that he's going high. And I think the change to the American League concerns me a little bit. But I am high on him as far as leading a staff and being able to have a good season. I don't think he's going to have the ERA that he had. But I'd like to see like a sub 3.5, even a 3.7, 3.8, something like that. I still would think would be a solid year for him. Okay. Well, in Yahoo, he's going 129th overall. Uh, in NFBC, he's going 136th overall. If you peg him at 130, you're talking the top end of the ninth round. Uh, you feel like that's a pretty safe spot to grab him? I might want to wait another round. Okay. Uh, names going around him. Denelson Lamette, Carlos Carrasco, Frankie Montas, Madison Bumgarner, Eduardo Rodriguez. Where do you feel like Ryu stacks up there? I think he's ahead of the first few that you mentioned, but mm-hmm. I think 
maybe you can make an argument that Bumgarner should be in front of him. Okay. Um, him or Zach Wheeler? Wow. Yep. No softballs today, Zach Benji. No Wheeler. softballs. I'm afraid, of, I'm afraid of Wheeler in the Citizens Bank Park. Okay. I've seen Wheeler for a long enough time to see where his woes are. Okay. Um, we'll go with Ryu or Max Freed. Wow. Mm-hmm. Probably Freed. Okay. All right. Right around this same spot as a guy I'm really high Wait, on. What was it that you said after Bumgarner? Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah, that's another one that I wasn't sure about. That's a real coin flip for me. Mm-hmm. What about you with those two? Um, I would probably go Eduardo Rodriguez. I feel like he's on the he's on the ascension here. I had him last year and ended up trading him in that same trade we talked about with Stanton. Um, and I kind of regretted it, even though I got Charlie Morton back in, in return. Rodriguez is a guy that has always had the upside of leading the Red Sox staff. And this year, I feel like he's going to have to, and he had a great year last year. I'm going to pull up his numbers really quick, but he was a, he was a fantastic, uh, replacement for, for this could be the replacement for David Price, right? 381 ERA last year, 19 and six over 203 innings. It was the first time in his career. He even eclipsed 138 innings in a season. And this is what we got out of him. Over 200 strikeouts, you know, a a solid whip of 1.3, 1.33 actually. You know, this was, this was a good year out of him. A 380 ERA is, is, is solid enough in the AL East. If you could get this season from him again, I would sign up all day and I would take him over 100 in Ryu. But then again, you know how I feel about Ryu coming to the AL East and going to Toronto versus what he was dealing with in, in L.A. I don't see this guy succeeding in his first season there. On top of the health concerns with each of these guys, Ryu has been much less consistent as far as putting up even 130 innings like Eduardo Rodriguez was able to. Um, well, they're both going to be challenged in the ALE. Agreed. And basically, both are going to be challenged to lead their respective staff. Mm-hmm. Rodriguez now has to be the man with Price gone and Sale going to miss time. Mm-hmm. So, with Mookie being moved also, I'm concerned about the one support from the Red Sox, although I do still love their offense, even without Mookie. Right. I just, um, yeah, I could I could make an argument either way with those guys. Okay. The final pitcher I'll hit on here goes a little bit further. So if you miss on this group of guys, you could probably wait another round or two and end up with the guy that I fell in love with last year and am all over this year. That's Zach Gallon in Arizona. He's going 141 off the board in in uh, Yahoo, 128 off the board in NFBC, which is actually higher than Hunjin Ryu and higher than, you know, another guy that we just talked about, Eduardo Rodriguez and Max Fried in NFBC. But he's getting a 20-pick discount in Yahoo, which I find interesting. Um, what do you think about Zach Gallen there, Benji? I kind of treat him the same way that I treat Merrill Kelly and Robbie Ray. I all kind of, I just consider them all the same guy on the Arizona Diamondbacks. Really? I got to see more out of all of them. I got to see another year under their belt. The only thing that I know for sure about the Arizona Diamondbacks right now, and people might say, wait a minute, but you haven't seen him pitch there, but it's Bumgarner. Mm -hmm. I've just seen that pitcher. The eyeball test for me on that guy is more clear. And okay. I just think, you know, stay in the National League West, I think it'll be beneficial for him. So that guy, I can feel comfortable drafting. A Gallon, a Merrill Kelly, a Rowdy Ray. For me, it's whichever one is left is the guy that's going to be on my team. Okay, okay. Um, going around the same spot as Zach Gallon in Yahoo Leagues is Lance Lynn, Matthew Boyd, David Price, and a guy you just mentioned in Robbie Ray. Where would you stack Zach Gallon up in that group? He's in that group, uh, okay. for sure. That's where he belongs. You know, the, the starting pitchers, for me, mm-hmm. it starts to get a little dicey because any one of them can have that awesome year. And you just you got to just go with, uh, I, I, for me at least, 
I just wait as long as I can. To, all right, all these guys are high ranked. They're highly touted. They're not going to be on my team. I'm going to go with the guy that's going to be the possible unsung hero. Okay. The Esteban Loaiza of 2003. Uh, something like that, where you really don't have to reach that high. Okay. Um, amongst those guys, I, I mean, I guess he's, again, he's the same player as Robbie Ray to me. Um, I would hmm. say maybe Lance Lynn is a guy that I would pick in front of him just because I've seen more of Lance Lynn. Okay. So the eyeball test more so. Like, now Lynn is a guy that really had a fight, tough injury. Mm-hmm. And I think Lance Lynn is 33 now, maybe 34 years old. So there is some mileage on that arm, but again, it's just that I tr- I can trust them because I've seen them longer. Yeah, Lance Lynn is in fact uh, 32 years old, going to be 33 in May. So he's younger right. than you think he is, um, and did have a great year. Did miss all of 2016 with that injury that you spoke about, but had an unbelievable year last year. 3670 ERA, 16 and 11 in over 200 innings, and 200 almost 250 strikeouts. So, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for strikeouts there, that's probably the guy you go with. Gallon, I think, is much more of a low ERA, uh, pretty decent strikeout rate, but not as high as, uh, as as Lynn here. Let's move over to first base with this, Benji, and I know, I know you're going to love to have this conversation. Where do you think Carlos Santana is going this year overall? Overall? Yes. He had probably one of his best years. Uh, it could be said so, that he had his best season to date this year, uh, in 2019. You know, highest batting average of his career at 281. Uh, highest home run. He tied his, his career ho- home run total at 34, uh, 34 home runs overall. Had the highest uh, RBI total at 93. Scored the most runs of his career at 110. Uh, the walk totals are always there at 100 or more. And... Strikeouts at 108 as well. Did have the highest on-base percentage of his career as well as at 397. So he had a career year in 2019. That being said, over or under, do you think Car- Carlos Santana is going over or under 100th overall? 100th for us would be, let's see, like the sixth round 100th overall in a 16 team league would be the front end of the seventh round okay so seventh then mm-hmm. i would say that he's going over 100 in most leagues he is currently in nfbc going 141 141st overall and in yahoo 146th overall so you're getting okay. you're getting quite a discount there because that would put him at the top end of the tenth round. Okay. In Yahoo, in a in a sixteen team league, hundred and forty sixth in a twelve teamer is the twelfth round or the start of the thirteenth round. Well, I think he's still probably amongst first basemen. I wouldn't say he's top eight, but I'd probably say he's top 10 or maybe just out of it. Okay. Let's let's name some guys going around him and we'll see where he's at. So, another guy that was on your team last year that you love, Trey Mancini is right in front of him along with Reese Hoskins and behind him Miguel Sano, Danny Santana and Yuli Gurriel. How many of those guys would you put Santana in front of? I put Santana in front of all those guys. Okay. The next guy up the list is Yasmani Grandal and Josh Bell. Mm-hmm. Josh Bell or Carlos Santana? Yeah. Uh, and my gut is going to say Santana just because okay. I, I saw it one year at a Bell. I know that Bell is the bigger star, and I can certainly argue that Bell is the better player. I can still argue that Santana is on a better team that has better hitters on it in mm-hmm. general. And I think that it speaks for a lot there. And as well as him being on an American League team. Um, and I also know more of what I'm getting with Santana as far as what you we were talking about with the walks, the on-base percentage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the power is going to go down. 
there's no way that Santana can hit that many home runs next year. It's, it's just not happening. Okay, so but, if you're putting Santana right at the same level as Bell, that puts Santana into the top 100 picks because Santana or Bell is currently going 95th overall. Do you think that's kind of a high number for Bell? I actually think it's a low number for Josh Bell. If you look at Josh you Bell... Think that, go ahead. Okay. No, I go ahead. Gonna say, well, I was going to say, I don't know what we're saying when we're saying high number or low number, but I'm saying that I think that he should be higher up on the list, meaning closer to number one because yes. he had such a fantastic year. Yes, I agree that Josh Bell should be higher on this list and that he's, him going 90... Okay, so then we're saying he should have a lower number. Yes, that's what I mean. Yes, I, I think it's a I think it's a low number in that I feel like he's going too late in a draft. Yes, his number should be yes, lower. He should go earlier. Yes, he should go earlier. Now, if you look at his numbers from last year, granted, the split between the first and the second half is the absolute reason he's going this late. You know, you look at the first half. He had 27 homers and 80 uh, and 84 RBIs with a 302 batting average in the first half. Wow! Wow! You. I looked at this guy at the All-Star break. I'm like, there's no way this guy doesn't drive in 130 runs this year. There's just no way right. it doesn't and happen. arguably gets 50 bombs. Yeah. And he ended the season with 37 homers and just over 100 RBIs. Because his second half, he hit 233, 10 homers, 32 RBIs. It just, it's just an ugly second half. And I feel like, okay, he kind of died out. He he, he tired out in the, in the second half. I also look at a thing like the home run derby as, as perhaps being the reason that he slowed down like he did. We've seen it happen right. to guys in the past. Guys like Aaron Judge right. in the second half of 2017 when he won it. You know, we've seen it ruin young players and ruin their swings in the second half. I was concerned about Pete Alonso when he when he played in the home run derby. You know? Oh, yeah. So, Everyone really said after that home run derby when he was slumping for like a week and a half, I told you he shouldn't have been in the home run derby. Yes. How'd that work out, everybody? It, it did. It worked out very well, and I was wrong on that one. But, Ben, I was right in 2017 with Aaron Judge. They, the home... you can, I mean, you can go, I'm sure, and then you can say I was right about uh, David Wright after 2000 or whatever it was mm-hmm. when he took place in it. But Ryan Howard, he won the thing. Did it really affect him? So it's really, it's case by case, and I'm not ready to say that the home run derby ruins somebody's swing. It might have on some occasions, and until a player admits that it happened to them, I'm not going to buy into all that, because there's plenty of guys that hit tons of home runs, like Josh Hamilton, mm-hmm. or even a Justin Morneau, and they participated, and they still, and Morneau still won a batting title, like, seven years later, right. and Hamilton won an MVP that year. So, you know, it's really case by case. You know, you know who else had it? How it affects this one. You know who else had a, had a better second half after the home run derby last year? Vlad Guerrero. Vlad? Vlad Guerrero. Yeah. Vlad. yeah. He had a much better second half than he did in his first half. Granted, he still only hit 15 home runs on the season, but I digress. Josh Bell, I feel like, needs to be, you know, when you when you compare him with guys going around the same spot as him, right? Uh, Jose Abreu's going 20 picks earlier. Max Muncy's going 25 picks earlier. I feel like he should be in that range. Maybe not to Paul Goldschmidt at 69 overall, but like... Maybe somewhere in that area, maybe in the 70s rather than in the 90s. Now, there again, right. there is a drop-off, right? Abreu is going 75th overall, and 20 picks later goes Josh Bell. Maybe that's just because, you know, you feel like, okay, I can wait for a minute on Josh Bell and get him at this discount rather than having to reach now that Jose Abreu is off the board. I don't know if a lot of people would necessarily take Paul Goldschmidt in front of those two guys. Really? Goldschmidt's actually going 55 overall in Yahoo, going the fourth first baseman off the board, ahead of Rizzo, ahead of Olsen, ahead of LeMahieu, ahead of Muncie, and ahead of Abreu. Do you feel like his atrocious start was an anomaly? I don't know. I hope not. I Like, I hope that it was, and I hope that it doesn't repeat itself. But at the same time, you know, he's... He's another year older now. He's what, thirty-two? Yeah, thirty-two years I would old. Say thirty-three. Like, yeah, he's he'll be thirty-three in September. So this is his thirty-two year okay. thirty-two year oh, season. Wow. All right, he's fairly young. Yeah, but he's on the back end of his prime. We've seen him now for sure. 
what nine years you know we've seen i think we've seen the best of paul goldschmidt that was probably 2013 36 homers 125 rbis uh 15 steals and a 302 batting average with a 401 on base percentage like that's his career year at 25 now you're talking you know seven years after that we've seen him in 150 or more games every year but 2014 when he was hurt so there's a lot there's of mileage to, on that body. There's something to be said, though, with having the poor start that he had and still managing to get 97 runs, 97 RBIs, 34 mm-hmm. dingers. Yep. I mean, there's still something to be said of the fact that he was able to turn his season around. Yeah, but the 260 batting average is what scares me. The 346 yeah. on base percentage, those were both career lows. Sure. No, and those are disappointing numbers. Yeah. I mean, look, if he turns around this year and hits 280 with a 360 on base percentage, that's beautiful. You know, and you're getting him probably at a discount now because you're seeing him drop in NFBC to 69 overall, but he's still going 55 in Yahoo, which if you look at a if you look at a 16 team league, that's the middle of the 4th round. If you're in a 12 team league, it's the middle of the 5th round. I don't know. I I'd be concerned. I would much rather have a guy like Matt Olson going later, who's younger and on the incline on his career. Right. Benji, this has been a fucking wonderful show. We've already gone an hour on this. <laughs> I Dude, mean, we could have gone another hour. There's so much to talk about. There's so many players. I mm-hmm. mean, throughout the conversation, I could have dropped in a name here and a name there, but there's just more to talk about for the next time. Look forward to dealing with you, buddy. Yep, and absolutely next time we are doing spring training numbers and how they affected regular season production. I look forward to doing that show with you, Benji. Thank you again. Guys, if you're listening to us on any one of the audio uh, outlets that that carry our our podcast, thank you so much for being here. Share this with all your friends, but don't share it with your league mates because, again, you want to have the advantage. For those of you watching on YouTube, thank you so much for being here. Go ahead and give us a subscription. That button's going to be right about here. And check out our last episode. Benji, what was our last episode? What was our last episode? Oh, the injuries. That's right. Injuries and how they're the the star players that are going to be injured for the 2020 season. So check that one out. It's right here. Thank you guys again for being here. And until next time, it's been real, it's been fun, and it's always real fun in the bigs. We'll see you next time.